It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. My guest today is internationally known and loved vocalist Jane Monheit, whose latest releases include a marvelous treatment of classic standards on the album Come What May... Come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life To get the feel of life From jazz and cocktails And her most recent recording, a songbook of holiday favorites called The Merriest. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir In our conversation today, we discuss these two albums and more. Jane, thank you for being our guest on All That's Jazz. Oh, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for what you do and how you do it. Well, I'm honestly just so grateful for the opportunity that I've had in this life to be able to be a musician and be able to sing to people. I mean, it's, you know, a a real dream come true, honestly, you know, so I'm, um, I try to focus on my gratitude for that as much as I can and, you know, remember that every day. Speaking of a dream come true, why not give our listeners a little bit of the background to where Jane Monheit has come from? I know you're originally from, I think it's Oakdale, New York. Yes, and- which is um, out on Long Island, um, on the south shore of Long Island. So I grew up, you know, on beaches and boats and fishing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think I ever dried off when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> And uh, then I moved to Manhattan when I was 17 to go to Manhattan School of Music and start my career. And then about six years ago, I I moved here to Los Angeles. And so when you were growing up, what was the influence in either your family life or through people that were mentors of yours? Or what's the basis of the background, uh, not only in the vocals, but uh, more specifically, since we are all about jazz? Uh, where does the jazz component fit into your development as a vocalist? Well, jazz really came mostly from my mother's parents. Uh, they lived about 20 minutes from us, so um, I spent half my childhood at their house, you know, of course. And, uh, you know, they were huge, huge jazz lovers. So my grandfather, you know, really educated me on this music from the time I was born. The first songs I learned to sing were standards. 
you know? So, uh, yeah, it was really my whole life. And I, I was very focused on doing this from the time I was that age too. You could have asked me when I was a very small child, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would have said a jazz singer, which is, you know, a ridiculous answer from a four-year-old, but it's really what I was saying to people, you know? Well, for any family that has a, uh, a very talented child, it, it's great to have uh, a parent who guides you, supports you, and allows you to earn your dream and live it. Absolutely. And I definitely had that. You know, I was very lucky. My family was incredibly supportive of me pursuing music. You know, when I said, I'm going to go to a conservatory and I'm only applying to the one that I want to go to and no other colleges and all that kind of stuff. They were like, okay, you got this. Let me move to New York City at 17 to go to that college. You know, they were very, very supportive. So who in your memory was the first vocalist, per se, that really made an impact on you and said, I want to sing like that? Was it truly Ella Fitzgerald? I, you know what? I think before Ella, it was probably Judy Garland first. Mm -hmm. Probably Judy first. Because I was very obsessed with The Wizard of Oz and Somewhere Over the Rainbow when I was little. It was like my... I mean, I could recite the movie. Like, I watched it over and over again. You know, little kids stuff. You know, little kids tend to like that sort of repetition. And, you know, my thing was The Wizard of Oz. And so Judy was first, but Ella definitely came early, too. And a lot of other singers, you know, I worshipped the ground Bernadette Peters walked on from the time I was little. Bonnie Raitt, another huge influence on me from the time I was tiny. So it was really, you know, coming from all different directions. But I know that you have the title that's been placed upon your crown, and that is uh, you are noted as the queen of ballads. Am I? That's so cool. <laughs> well, I do get into the ballads. I must say I get into the ballads pretty heavily. I enjoy them. <laughs> well, as did Ella Fitzgerald, and that's why I was wondering, because she, prior to your coming along, she was the previous queen of ballads. Uh, <laughs> And certainly uh, in royalty when it came to singing the American songbook. You know, bringing Ella together with the songbook was a, was a huge deal. You know what I mean? It was, I think, deeply influential on basically every singer that came after that. You know? <laughs> I mean, especially those of us who are jazz singers. Uh, yeah, those songbook albums were certainly very important for me and my education. But I really think it's pretty universal. It's funny, I... Uh, Spent some time yesterday talking to someone that knew her and you know, was telling me stories about her. And um, I think maybe my favorite thing about Ella is the way she's remembered, not just for her music, but for her kindness and her warmth and how she was, you know, she was an incredible person. And I think you can hear that in her music. You know, I think especially in the ballads and the songbook recordings, because there's just such a warmth. I mean, her voice is like an embrace. You know what I mean? It's like getting hugged by your mother, you know? So, uh yeah. Yeah. Those albums are very important, I think, to all vocalists. So do you purposely try to emulate her or manifest her style in, in many ways? I know you scat extremely well. You oh, certainly you. do the American Songbook uh, justice in many, many ways. Well, you know, I wouldn't say I'm trying to emulate her. If anything, I'm trying not to. 
You know what I mean? Um, because I do think individuality is really important amongst us vocalists. You know, if you're going to record a standard that's been recorded a thousand times by people like Ella, there better be a good reason and it better be honest and it better be individual and all of this kind of stuff. So I think I really spend more time trying to not emulate Ella, but uh, certainly deeply influenced by her. And I'm very proud to be sort of carrying that torch, you know what I mean? Like bringing this stuff into a new millennium, literally, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's very important to me to be part of, you know, kind of bringing the history forward. Mm -hmm. Would you describe yourself as an instrumentalist? Well, I mean, technically I do play instruments and was raised playing instruments. Um, I grew up, you know, playing clarinet pretty seriously and saxophone and piano and all this kind of stuff. Um, was the bell section leader in high school marching band. It was a shining moment. <laughs> Definitely not nerdy at all. Yeah, so, you know, I, I did grow up as an instrumentalist and I think it's really, really important for vocalists to be able to learn some instruments, especially piano or guitar. I also think it's great for instrumentalists to sing a little bit and to learn the lyrics to the tunes they're playing. So, you know, it's all very tied in and related. What I hate to see is when there's such a divide between instrumentalists and vocalists. You know, that, that drives me nuts. But that's where you stand out, as do many other vocalists who have been accepted by the instrumentalists because you use the voice as the instrument and you can yeah. keep up with them. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's skills that you have to learn. Singers that can't do that aren't really doing their jobs, are they, as jazz musicians? You know what I mean? It's like you can put on a pretty dress and croon a pretty song, but are you a musician? Can you sing over the changes? You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. So it, I do think it's very important for vocalists to seriously learn the craft and not just, you know, wear it like a costume, you know? Indeed, and uh, and that does make a difference, even in terms, uh, as we talked about, of having uh, that level of acceptance with your fellow bandmates. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really important to find the right band, too, as a vocalist, because a lot of instrumentalists aren't really super interested in accompanying vocalists, and that's fine. They don't have to be. It's like a specialized skill, being a great accompanist on any instrument. So, you know, you find the guys that are not only good at it, but genuinely love doing it, that really want to play with a singer, that appreciate the lyrics, the whole deal. And I'm so lucky to have musicians on both coasts that absolutely love and appreciate vocalists, you know, and they're some of my best friends in the world. Do you have a chosen or set ensemble of musicians that you work with constantly or? Yes, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Who are the ones on the West Coast? West Coast band is featured on my newest album, uh, The Merriest. Uh, that would be Max Hamer on piano, Carl McComas Reichel on bass, and my husband, Rick Montalbano on drums. On the East Coast, that's the band I've been with for like over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And they were featured on Come What May, which is the album that came before The Merriest. And that would be, well, some of them were, some of them were not. It was difficult because of COVID. But the East Coast band is Michael Kanan on piano, uh, Neil Miner on the bass, and when he can make it, Rick Montalbano, my husband on the drums, but we have a teenager in high school, so often he's home, and in that case, I'll use a, one of New York's greatest drummers, Joe Strasser. Since we're already talking about Come What May, and I want to talk about your latest release, which is certainly within keeping of the holiday season right now, and that's the merriest. 
But let me start with Come What May. That album, uh, I, I think, manifested itself through the pandemic. Yeah. Um, well, I had signed with uh, a new label called Club 44 Records. They are the greatest. They're amazing. I love them so much. Uh, not only are they great people to work with professionally, but they're just like the nicest guys in show business. It's like amazing. Um, and, you know, we were, you know, wanted to make a record together right away. Of course, you know, pandemic hits. How are we going to do this? Um, couldn't rehearse, you know, nothing like that. So I put together a collection of some tunes that had been really nice on the road for the last, you know, year or two or whatever, um, that were ready to record. And, um, you know, we got together in a home studio here in LA, you know, 5 million COVID tests and masks and everything else and made the record in like two days. And it's an incredible record. Uh, it, Thank you. That was your first one in a period of like, Four or five, five years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mostly just because, um, you know, album making is very expensive. And it's the kind of thing where it was like I had 10 albums out um, already, uh, was still touring all over. You know what I mean? It was like there wasn't any real pressing need to just put out more product. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, do we really want to spend zillions of dollars on this? And, you know, I was using my, I had my own label at the time and everything. You know, once I signed with Club 44, like it just, everything became perfect. The timing became perfect. They're just great. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. Are all of those your arrangements, by the way? No, the arrangements are not mine. Um, lots of times ideas for arrangements will come from me, but the arrangements are normally done. The, okay, the bass charts, like the trio charts, mm -hmm. are generally done either by Michael Caine and Neil Minor or Max Hamer. Uh, and then the string charts are written by Wayne Hahn, who is also the head of Club 44 Records and just a brilliant musician. He's incredible. And you highlighted on that release, uh, Come What May, a lot of the American songbook as well as uh, Broadway musical tunes that everybody knows and loves as well. Um, well, you know, um, it was funny because, you know, records, they all have to have a concept of some kind. And the concept for Come What May was sort of like, with a couple exceptions, it was songs I'm like finally old enough to sing, you know, because I've been making records since I was fresh out of college and now I'm, you know, in my mid 40s. And so a lot more material is available to me. And uh, yeah, so that was sort of the idea. But then a couple tunes slipped in just about how much I miss traveling. <laughs> there you go. But um, yeah, and then obviously the merriest, the concept was Christmas. Indeed. On Come What May, uh, one of my favorites is uh, Let's Take a Walk Around the Block. Someday we'll go places, new lands and new faces. The day we quit punching the clock. The future looks pleasant, put in prison. Let's take a walk around the block. You're just the companion I want a Grand Canyon When throwing old blades down the rock The money we have on Go for Trevor Meantime, let's walk around the block That is my favorite, I think, from the record. Yeah, I mean, it's a great Gershwin tune, and it, it speaks a lot of, uh, I guess, what you were going through at the time in terms of being a hostage to the house uh, and pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it, it, it's, I, I think you can hear the meaning of it coming through uh, in, in the vocals and uh, your, 
your styling of the, of the album too. It was like, oh my God, let's get out and take a walk around. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> so. Absolutely. So what other one works really well for you on that? I liked uh, Let's Face the Music and Dance. Tell me about that one and that selection. Uh, that was an arrangement by Michael Kanan, um, one that we had, you know, played live years back in another live show uh, that we had put together. There may be trouble ahead But while there's moonlight and music in love and romance Let's face the music and dance Before the fiddlers fled Before they ask us to pay the bill And why But uh, yeah, and I just pulled it out. I thought it would be a really nice contribution to the album because of the pandemic and what was going on in the world. And you know what I mean? It just sort of seemed to fit. All of the tracks that are on there or the music selection was all done by you personally. Yeah, I've chosen every tune for every record I've ever made. And of course, you had to include one on there that was Brazilian in nature because oh, this is always, a, always. It's an important facet, uh, and you did a Jobim tune. Tell us about that one. Well, that tune, Samba Luvial, is uh, which means Samba of an airplane, um, is probably one of my all-time favorite Jobim tunes. And that arrangement, which was actually written by Miles Okazaki, brilliant, brilliant very well-known jazz guitarist, very highly respected and author. He's incredible. Just ran the New York City Marathon, this man. it's He does everything. Um, anyway, it's great charts. And he wrote this arrangement for Song with Liao and uh, but wrote it maybe 15 years ago. Like we'd been playing this thing on the road for so many years. And finally I was like, I've got to record this. live for so long it's got to go on an album let's add some strings let's add some percussion let's make it special and that's what we did i have to ask you this do you feel like maybe you were brazilian in another life (laughs) i hope i'm brazilian in the next one that's for sure brazil is one of my favorite places to travel to in the world i love it there so much and the people have you know not only been incredibly welcoming to me as an american musician just in general but so gracious to me when I'm like brutally murdering their gorgeous music (laughs) and you're trying my hardest to get it right and sing in the language and, you know, 
learn the history and the whole thing. And everyone's been very, very gracious about that. And I appreciate that because Brazilian music is one of my greatest joys. So this is a great album, and uh, I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about it in terms of it being your first release uh, after five years of having a little hiatus and then getting back into it. Is this uh, the thing that drew you out of the house, so to speak, and got you on the road again? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was dying to get on the road again either way. Um, but, you know, it helps to book tour dates if you have a project out. So, you know, it's kind of something you need to think about. Like, all right, you know, if I want to be booking dates, I need to have product out in the world, something to promote. You know, so it really was time to get going on an album. And the timing was just great with meeting Club 44. And, you know, it was it just all worked out very well. Mm-hmm. And they have also produced your latest album, which uh, we can move uh, at this point into. And that's called The Merriest. Why a Christmas album now? And it's such a short-lived life in, in terms of it being presented to audiences. You know, people put Christmas music on uh, maybe in the middle of November and come January 1st or the 3rd, it, the album goes away again. Yes, but then it comes back next year. So like Christmas <laughs> albums end up having legs, you know what I mean? Which is great. Like I made my first Christmas album 17 years ago and uh, it was called The Season. And I've been able to tour behind that record every year since it came out, which is awesome. You know what I mean? And so now with the new one, you know, it's even better. Now I have tons of music to make a holiday show out of. It's great. And I live for these songs. I'm like that Looney, Looney Tunes Christmas lady. Like my tree went up on like November 7th. You know, like I'm like not even kidding, like November 7th. <laughs> so I live for the holiday shows. I live for the music and uh, getting to do more of it with a second Christmas album has been really fun. So this is the kind of thing where it, it's a reflection of your favorite season, your favorite time. Mm-hmm, big and, time. And, and that's important. Uh, and, and I think, again, this is manifested through the music when you listen to it, because when you have a special connection or affection for it, then it, it, it's there, it's heard. Well, I hope people can hear it. I mean, it's... It's honestly really true. Like I'm really that much of like a Christmas cuckoo. Like I really am. I, in fact, I have two trees up in my house, not even just one. <laughs> two, okay. I do. One of them is little, it's okay. And your husband produced this album. If I yes, my husband produced The Merriest. He, <laughs> he totally got mad at me for giving him full credit too. <laughs> really? He, he was like, you should have shared credit with me on this. And I was like, no, because he really made this one happen in the studio. Um, his guidance on the tracks uh, was incredible. He, he's a really amazing producer, Rick. What's your son's reaction to listening to the Christmas music? I, I don't know what his name is. I believe Jack. His name is Jack. He loves Christmas as much as I do. He totally helped me do all the decorating. He's amazing. Um, but he does not want to hear like me and his father's records. He's just like, oh my God, please. Do we have to hear that again? You know, like when we were making the record and like listening to it a lot to check the mixes and stuff like that, he'd be like, again, oh my God, you guys. Because he's not a jazz guy, my son. He is rock to the core. Is there a track on this new album, The Merriest, uh, that's the standout for you or the one that you're the most proud of? Well, the one that's the most fun 
to sing is the most wonderful time of the year. That is too much fun. That samba arrangement that Max Hamer wrote is so much fun. It's like party tune, you know what I mean? It's the most wonderful time With the kids jingle fiddling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the half happiest season of The ballads really came out lovely, I think, on that record. Um, and honestly, the merriest, the song itself, is also super fun to sing. Well, and you do uh, a, a tribute to Cy Coleman, and and that's important to you because Broadway uh, tunes seem to uh, have a high place on the shelf for you as well. Oh, yeah. love musical theater always have um you know it was always a dream of mine to maybe do that too and you know that never goes away so seriously love that music and you know I really do take a lot from musical theater in my performances especially now with my west coast trio we're getting into some very interesting musical theater material with you know really good jazz arrangements but yeah <laughs> Jane why don't we go ahead and talk about some of the other tracks on the album the merriest the first tune on the record is Let It Snow. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping 
And I brought some corn for popping The lines are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow and Christmas time is here. Why that choice? Well, that's a song I, I really, really love, of course. on someone else's album but it you know it wasn't my arrangement none of my choices you know not the way I would have chosen to do the tune so because I love the song so much I wanted to just give it another shot so it was coming from my perspective instead of my sideman perspective do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and then you have a guest artist on there in the form of uh, John Pizzarelli tell us about yes. that tune he is my absolute favorite. I've recorded with John a bunch in the past and toured with him a bunch. We've sung together just millions of times and I'm honestly his biggest fan. I really am. Like I'm just a fangirl for John Pizzarelli. to do that holiday feeling, you know, it's just a Stephen Eady moment, that he would be the perfect person to do it with. I was so thrilled he said yes. Yeah, and we recorded it here in L.A. One more, uh, Winter Wonderland. Uh, that's really upbeat, kind of a fun tune. Tell me about that selection. Well, that's another arrangement we've been playing for a long, long time live. And uh, there's sort of like an idea behind it. You know, there's these bass fills in between the, the vocal lines. listeners to kind of imagine that the bass is like this beleaguered boyfriend 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's this woman, she's dragging him through like Christmas tree stands and department stores and everything else, and he just wants to die. And she's just like, let's make plans, oh my God, we're gonna get married. And he's like, what have I done? Like, that's sort of the idea behind the chart. <laughs> if you imagine the bass being this boyfriend voice, yeah. That's a great way to put it. What a wonderful story. The music is out. It's now on Club 44 record label. And this is one that will be, I'm sure, coming up year after year. As you said, it will have a legacy in many households and be played over and over. What comes next? We're putting together plenty of dates for 2023. And, you know, obviously I'm going to be hoping to get into the studio sometime next year and make another album. Any concept, uh, not sure what it's going to be yet. Cause there's a few directions I could go in. Um, but yeah, hoping to do that sooner than later. Maybe even a hint. I just don't know yet. Well, I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be absolutely wonderful and people will truly enjoy it. Jane, it's such a pleasure to uh, spend some time with you. How can our listeners learn more about you and the music? Well, my website is janemonheitonline.com, and one cool thing about that is we are selling signed copies of the CD from there. So if anybody wants a signed copy of The Merriest, we ship them all over the world. Um, we ship them immediately, um, so you get them right away. Uh, yeah, so we can do that. I also have a really cute merch line on my website, so cute stuff on the website. The best way to like interact with me or keep in touch with me, stuff like that, like find out tour dates, things like that is Instagram. Facebook, I don't really use. Twitter is going down the tubes. Instagram is the place to find me. It's been a lovely thing having you as our guest on All That's Jazz. And I wish you the happiest and more importantly, the merriest holiday season. (laughs) You too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with jazz vocalist Jane Monheit. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net. 